0: it's time for class civics just doesn't begin and end on election day this is sunday civics
1: the home for the civically engaged with political strategist l joy williams on sirius xm's urban view
0: good morning and welcome to another episode of sunday civics I'm your host, your civics teacher, and neighborhood political strategist, L. Joy Williams. And I want to thank you so very much for making it to class this morning. As always, we're here to engage, educate, and inspire you to take civic action. So if you are here for the first time, welcome. And for those seasoned saints, welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us. In today's episode, we're unpacking a topic that's right out of the headlines and what is now being called the migrant crisis. If I was, you know, on MSNBC or CNN, it'd be like a package with like the music and be like, do-do-do-do, like it'd have a whole (laughs) like intro. But I wanted to start off with some clarity on language and the terminology we use and how we're describing people well first of all we want to make sure that we are focused and intentional and that we are talking about people we are talking about human beings we are not talking about something that is not you know foreign to us or some aliens from mexico (laughs) or something like that right We are talking about human beings. And so we want to make sure that as we are having these conversations in our communities, our churches, on the news with elected officials, that we lead with our humanity. But I also want to give you some clarity on language and terminology regarding this crisis overall. So first, refugees. Refugees are people who are fleeing armed conflicts or uh, persecution right? That is what the terminology of a refugee is. An asylum seeker is someone who claims to be a refugee and whose claim hasn't been evaluated yet. So they're seeking asylum. They're saying that You know, I can't go back to my country because if I go back, I'll be prosecuted or harmed because of my race, because of my religion, my ethnicity, my political beliefs or something of that nature. Right. So you are a refugee. You are leaving your homeland and you are seeking refuge in another country or another territory to create safety for yourself and for your family because you will be prosecuted if you stay. Then there are migrants. Migrants choose to move not because there is an immediate threat or prosecution, but to improve their lives. They could be seeking work or a better education. Maybe they got disconnected from family and they're trying to reconnect with their family to bring their family back together, right? So I want us to be clear, like, as we are having these conversations that we are using that terminology because quite often things get thrown around interchangeably And we want to make sure that we are being clear. And, you know, our guest is going to talk a bit about that as well. And, you know, cities like New York, which is where I am, Los Angeles, Miami, I think, is going through the same thing. They are absorbing a significant amount of the population, the migrant population that is happening right now. And we are faced with a lot of challenges and questions that demand our attention, our action. There's going to be a lot of discussion about budgets, whether that be a local city budget, the state budget, the federal budget, and how this has an impact. We're already in that conversation here in New York City. And so, to have this discussion, I reached out and brought back a previous guest we've had on the show when we've delved into delved into the issue of immigration, Alan Orr Jr., who's a renowned immigration attorney, and he's going to come later in the show. We're gonna, you know, delve deep into what has led to this crisis, what the federal government needs to do, how do we as engaged citizens make our voices heard, and ensure that we are not. One, using language that continues to contribute to the problem and others' people, takes strips them of their humanity and makes them a target. And that could come with a whole host of other problems and a whole host of other issues. But also, we want to be smart and we don't want people to use this crisis and use these people who are already in a dire situation And put them against our communities and put them against and say, well, the reason why you don't have more housing is because of this or the reason why you can't, you know, get better education is because of this. Right. We've seen time and time again how that playbook is used and there, We want to be smart um, about the conversations. Obviously, there's very real financial and resources that come along with this, but we also don't want to be played and I, I want us to have a better conversation going forward because this is not a standalone issue. I mean, you know, the economy is woven in it. the foreign policy, our broken immigration system. Even climate change is a part of this because some of the reason why a lot of movement is happening is because of climate change, people moving and seeking different opportunities and moving out of harm's way. And so as people from various countries seek refuge and opportunity, our cities basically are the beacon, right? Like they're the melting pots where different cultures and aspirations and challenges mix. People are seeking out well, I can go to these places and kind of disappear and, you know, sort of build a life for me and my family. But cities like New York <laughs> and other places are already dealing with other issues, right? Like housing shortages, unemployment, homelessness, and sort of what is the best way that we can address these issues and not be pitted against each other and sort of create a whole new host of problems. So while the federal government holds the lion's share of responsibility to the address this issue, we also locally have a role to play. And we can't be silent. And we can't just be the not-in-our-backyard and you know, not-in-our-community people. We can do this in a smart way. We can do this in a more engaged way. And we elect officials to represent us. Therefore, we should be holding them accountable for how they provide sustainable solutions to address this issue and this in these multitude of crises. So later in the show, Alan Orr Jr. will guide us through what we should be demanding from those who lead us and how we can have better language, but also demand better for our communities and also not. Fallen for the okie doke of people pitting us against other human beings. So, we're going to talk more about that. I'm Eljoy Williams here on Sunday Civics. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll be back with Alan Orr Jr. and talking more about this when we come back from the break.
1: All the, wahala, all the problems, all the that you must do to start in this world like when the T-shirt schoolboy and school girl come together who is the T-shirt i go let you know
0: who is the t welcome back to sunday civics i'm old joye williams and as promised I'm, I'm bringing back to the front of the classroom attorney extraordinaire, (laughs) I should say, but he's also the 2009 Joseph Minsky Young Lawyer Award winner because of his contributions to the field of immigration law. We had him on the show previously when we got our primer on immigration uh, and the policies and sort of how we got here and what we need to do. So Alan, I brought you back because there's another crisis. It's like crisis on top of crisis. We're going to unpack all of that, but I hear people in the streets. I know, you know, we New Yorkers, we out in the streets, right? And, you know, I hear the Brothers on the Corner and I hear people from the New York Times crowd to the Upper West Side to the. Everybody is talking about these migrants, right? They're talking about it in a way that I feel like dehumanizes people. And at the same time, they're also discussing very real concerns of these are thousands of people like how are we going to address these issues and make sure that they are being taken care of in a humane way but then also we have our other crises that are bumping up against you know all of this at the same time so i wanted to bring you on because i want an intelligent thoughtful conversation but also to give people the baseline of as they're talking about these real issues right we don't we don't have to be disrespectful and inhumane while we're having these conversations i mean do you hear the same thing what what do you hear so i think
1: so it's it's bigger than new york it's chicago it's also california it's been texas it's been florida um i think the concept of the united states is full is a fiction because we have a low birth rate and we need people here for workers so that's just the reality of just the numbers right I, i don't make those numbers those are just what they are And part of that is how we weaponize othering people. And part of othering people is to make them seem like invaders and things that take away. And that's the same thing that was used against Black people in the past in the civil rights movement. So that's the concept behind the media and everyone saying these are invaders. While there are real concerns with regards to budgetary issues with an influx of migrants, those concerns can be managed on the books by the United States government, because they're not limited to the same budget that we are. Right. So between the federal government, the state government and local government and partnerships, there could be solutions for the number of people, the influx of people that we're seeing, which is, you know, in New York, I think it's a couple hundred thousand, which is not a small number in all. But when you talk about 350 million people in the United States, that's not a large influx. That's not some game changing amount of individuals, specifically when we talk about the immigrants that we didn't receive during the COVID years. Right. And the conditions that are in those countries. So part of the understanding is to say, what do we value, right? That's the choice we often say. What do we value? And then where do we put the money for the things that we value? Because temporarily, these people need a lot of things. And one of the things that New York has called for is work authorization for these individuals, right? But they're called for it from the president. And the president can't issue work authorization to those individuals, right? He can make the administration maybe run better, but he can't issue work authorization. That's Congress. And we've seen every program from the president go back to Obama with DACA. Who issued work authorization to be challenged in court so that's really part of the problem is understanding where it originates and why that problem is there so the question becomes alan why in 30 years has there not been a single immigration bill passed right what is the issue if there's such a crisis that there's no solution and the answer is both parties have used it as a political platform as a carrot for the democrats to say we're going to get to that and for the republicans to say there's this influx this browning of america and this is one of the ways that we can stop it is by controlling immigration numbers. But no party has passed a major immigration bill in 30 years. And if it was really a problem, then they would have addressed it just like with climate control. So these are choices that we're making over and over and over again. And the one thing that I wanna say in the political arena, because I think it's important to sort of speak to this space where we're talking about Democrats and Republicans is I'm working on a piece right now that says that every elected Republican in those local state offices in New York City in the state offices, in the local offices, in the federal office, who have not said something about Greg Abbott, busing immigrants into New York to take up New York resources is also culpable, right? Because that's not a party issue. They were elected by New York individuals to represent New York. And why are they not saying something against Texas taking those actions? That's a problem for them politically. And I want New Yorkers to hold them accountable in the next election.
0: So at at the same time that this crisis is happening, in some of those cities that are being impacted, like we said, New York, Chicago, um, they're also dealing with the crisis of homelessness. And so one of, there's the conversation of people who are uh, obviously othering people for political benefit, but then there are people who are just like hey wait a minute how come they can find something relatively quickly to house you know people who are coming here seeking asylum meanwhile we have this in, this homelessness crisis that has been going on since covid rising since covid and there doesn't seem to be any emergent you know, urgent issue in terms of of moving that. In addition to employment issues, right? So those are kind of converging, and that's where that's where I see mainly a lot of Black folks sitting, right? Of just being like, "Hey, wait a minute," <laughs> you know, we've been fighting on these issues for um, some time, and now because of this urgent crisis of these uh, of people here, it seems to be handled relatively quickly. How should we? You know, that brother that you're gonna to talk to on the corner that undoubtedly is gonna say something like that to you. How are you addressing, how are you responding to that question?
1: So outside of the political room, I mean, basically the countries that have robbed the world of resources is now receiving the individuals who they robbed from. That's the real answer on a short answer on a skit. The larger sort of scheme of things is that we have a lot of liberties in this country. And while it's not perfect, it's better than a lot of other places. And when people see us on paper, and what we say we stand for, it looks like a great place to be. And when you're sort of thinking about, can I live, right? People are coming here because they have, they might not be able to live. They're coming here to, to do cut chicken and, and kill cows because in their country, their concern is, will I live tomorrow, right? Not whether you're going to put me in jail once I get here. So the fundamental issue of surviving, which is very much an American and United States, a human trait is people are coming here for survival, And they think that they're going to be safe here and because of the way our laws are structured they have heard that they will be received and get due process and legally that's one of the problems many of them are not getting due process so let's level set ever since this country was established there have been influx of immigrants different people from different countries at different times there was the irish right there were people who came over i mean there was the exclusion act of chinese nationals meaning Uh, South Africans and, and regular Asians until civil rights movement happened. And after that, we had a different influx of immigrants. So our country survives on the influx of immigrants over and over again. So this is not something new. What has changed is the way that we talk about them. And who changed that was Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan was the first president who took office and said to Haitians, when you come to this country fleeing for your life or a better life, looking for asylum, Rather than allow you to just be among us and have your asylum case processed, we are going to lock you up in detention. And that was the beginning of the detention complex and the prison complex for immigrants.
0: Where's the the U.N. in all of this? Do they have a role to play in this crisis?
1: So I think, you know, the U.N. was founded after the Second World War, the same time that our asylum laws were founded. And I think the UN is the blueprint. It's sort of like the Bill of Rights and the Constitution that is this dream, this panacea of utopian sort of values and political structure. And they've had hearings. They've had tons of hearings, right? Even on African-Americans and what happens to us in this country. But that doesn't lead to results, because the people who are in power don't want to change the influx of what happens. So the UN can't step into a sovereign nation and actually do something. So that's the problem that we see now in Haiti, right? Haiti has said to Kenya, well, Others have said to Kenya, could you come and help Haiti and Haiti's saying, well, we hope the Kenyans can help, but we don't want them to come here and kill us all and sort of take over our, our process. And also they've looked at at the United States and Canada and Mexico and said, well, if we were like the Ukraine, then you guys would all be here helping us to sort of solve the situation that we have. So there's sort of this hands tied sort of facility. And part of me sort of addressed it this way. We're always looking for Superman. Well, you don't really need a Superman. You just need to be who you say you are, right? If we just who we say we are and process those laws and get people the asylum that we have. So, okay, great. There's going to be a lot of people who can apply for asylum and don't get asylum because our laws are that way. So you can change the law, but Congress isn't doing that, right? That's one of the ways you can address it. The other thing that I say to people all the time is, listen, when things are over-restrictive, alcohol, marijuana, what is the way forward for the United States to legalize those things in such a way that it works for us, right? The legalization of marijuana has decreased prisons. It has raised tax revenues, started a new generation of wealth for people. So we can't always say you're not going to be able to have any alcohol, right? It's a prohibition when we know alcohol is going to exist. Or even the same thing with drugs. Rather than say you can't have it when we know it already exists, the best way to do is to legalize it and make it a function of the government. So then the choices are to be able to come through and go through. That's the other thing that changed with Ronald Reagan. Before Ronald Reagan, immigrants would come to this country, work, and go home. No problem. After Ronald Reagan, they, in IRA IRA, is a new immigration act in which they said, if you come to the country and you stay more than six months, you're banned for three to 10 years. So therefore, when people come and they reach that time limit, they just don't leave. If people could leave and come back to address the workflow that we have until we get our immigration system right, we would not have that many people who are undocumented because they'd be like, okay, I'm not barred. People were able to sort of cross the border without the restrictions of having to be subject to these three and 10 year bans, which allowed flexibility at the border. So people, were, people would come and work and then they would take the money and go home. You know, all immigrants aren't other in a sense of they're not, you know, Hispanic or some other. Many of them are black. And many Black people in this country are related to one in ten, have an immigrant background. And so our numbers are related to the immigrant population, just like everyone else's numbers. The reason that the Hispanic society is growing so fast is partially because of immigration and also because they have higher birth rates. And so we have to do the same thing as Black people. So that's number one, and this political power. We need to be realistic about that, not other the choices that a community makes at a time when they have a, a crisis shows you what they're able to do. So regardless of what it was in the past, the answer is, oh, I see you can do that for them. Let's do that for us. It it should not be that someone has taken something from you. It's saying, oh my God, we're able to do this. So now we should do this for everyone. It's exactly what we learned during COVID. During COVID, we learned that $12 an hour was not too much because you could pay $12 an hour. We learned that you could work from home. We learned all these things were possible that before were not possible. Now they are factually possible. you made it available to this group now let's expand it so it shouldn't be oh my God I need to get what they have necessarily meaning taking something from them it should be seen as oh this this is an option for everybody so we're going to do this we're going to do this for everybody and this is how it should be administered and this is the way it should be administered the Trump administration Sunday or Saturday launched Blacks for immigration reform which was founded by a white restrictionist right, and all the people on the board are white restrictionists right now, and they say they have a couple of Black people that are going there, but they are literally going into Black communities and saying the immigrants are your problems. They're the one taking the low-end jobs. They're the one taking the housing. And the question for every Black person should be native-born or immigrant who is here should be, why is that my status in life? Why are those not your jobs? Why is that not your housing? What is that situation where you're deeming me to be the less of these and then pitting me up against them? They are not your enemy. The enemy are all the corporations that made billions of dollars during COVID who now say they can't pay you wages. People who are making 510 times their employee who's not doing that. You say, well, I go to the company and they won't hire me, but they hired this Hispanic person. Well, it's not that Hispanic person problem that they hired you. The company has a racist problem. Right. So it's the employer of that company. So we need to do the political data of saying we're not going to buy their goods. Right. If we don't see people in the company, we don't need to buy their goods. We don't need to shop in the neighborhood. And we need to do all our political strength to say this is a bad place to be. We've seen that work on both sides. So the concept of pitting two people with nothing against each other for someone who has everything. We need to get out of sight of that for this entire race, because they're going to do that over and over and over again with housing, jobs, everything that you want to speak of. Those neuroscientists that come to this country who immigrate here are not taking your job because you don't have the degree for that. And while we are largely talking about the undocumented population, there are a lot of people here who are documented. Indian nationals have to wait almost 20 times longer than French nationals to get a green card. So long that potentially their kids don't even get that because there's a quota on the number of people that can come from that country, while that country's numbers are much larger than others, and they fill most of our tech industry right? So those backlogs of people who are coming here the right way is also two years. Why is that? That is a choice the United States has made to say, we just want to make this so hard. We want to super vet people and make you jump through hoops for no reason at all. And the concept from the Republicans is, oh, that once they become a citizen, they're going to vote Democrat. That's a dumb thing for me to hear. Everybody should challenge and say, we want to represent these immigrants. So your party needs to do what it needs to do to get those immigrants to vote for you. Because once they're here, And they get a green card, which could take a very substantial time in itself from anywhere from two to ten years. Once you get the green card, it takes you five additional years if you're doing the regular processing and three years if you're married to a United States citizen to be able to vote. During that time, do you know what they're doing? They're paying taxes and building communities without a voice. Right? That's the other thing I want to say. There's so many immigrants who pay taxes every day and don't have a voice. Those undocumented people that you're sort of saying we need to get rid of, they paid almost. $20 billion into the Social Security system that is helping your grandmother today get the check so that she doesn't have to go back to work, so the system doesn't turn upside down. That's the reality that we have, that many people are working and paying to a system that they can't vote in, they can't elect their officials, and they get no reward from it, and they're never going to get that money that they're paying into the system into Social Security on someone else's number. Does that sound fair? Does that sound American? It does not.
0: So let's step back, uh, I'm sorry, let's go on further. I wanna talk about um, those who um, are seeking asylum, the, the uh, migrants, the human beings that we're talking about, what legal challenges, like what are they facing once they're here, right? Because there's the journey here that, you know, going beyond, like you said, the political headlines of in some of these instances, the people that are coming here, why they're coming here, what they are escaping or what's happening in their country, what's happening in their regions, or just trying to seek a better life for themselves and their families. So there's the journey of getting here. But then there's also What you face in terms of legal challenges, health challenges, and all of those things that once you are actually here, what are they facing now, given our immigration system is already a clusterfuck?
1: So a couple of things that sort of, even in the journey here, specifically for Black immigrants, a lot of the concern is, well, why didn't you stop in Mexico? Or why did you stop in Honduras along the way? Where there's still racism there. I mean, we've actually seen what happened in Chile when they once accepted a lot of Haitians, gave them work authorization, and then expelled them. So once they're here, the challenges are those that the same, that many people face with the legal system is. There are no attorneys for them. There are no court-appointed attorneys for them. And in many cases, there's a language deficiency, right? We're really good with Spanish and we're really good with Chinese. We're getting better with Creole, Haitian Creole, but all the other dialects of the world, they don't get it in their language. So there's no way for them to seek justice for themselves because they can't translate the documents, right? And then you have people who are taking advantage of them, governors who They might have a court date in Texas and they bust them to New York. And then you have to go through the paper chase of changing the system. So all those things sort of are complex. But the thing that we really can structurally change is we are still in the immigration world doing everything via paper and U.S. mail. We are so far behind technology and the advancements that we need to have. that is absolutely crazy. It takes almost 12 months to get someone a work authorization card renewed, which is basically like getting your driver's license renewed. That's the same security of a driver's license. It takes almost 12 months to get that shipped in through the mail and back to them from one center and they're issuing every card out of one place, right? Those are processing choices that we've made. Also, part of what we have to balance in the immigration world is, do we want to say when they come to the border, we're going to give them a case, right? Then show up that day, prove me you need asylum right now, this moment, or are we going to give them months to sort of structurally recover from their journey of a thousand miles? and pull the documents together that they can do to tell us a story. So fast justice and equal justice doesn't always look the same for every group of individuals. And specifically to, to traumatize women and small children. Until last year, most of the people who were removal court were children who were three and four and five years old going before a judge who still have to put on their own case. How ridiculous is that? I mean, there are tons of scripts on the internet and YouTube you can go to and you can see little children in immigration court saying, why are you here today? Where's your home country? Where do you choose to be deported to? Right? That's not the standard that this country should sort of bear. And we're not at that level where we have sort of a population control. Actually, we have a population shortage in every arena, even the military, workers, military, teachers around the board, we could use more workers because the baby boomers are moving forward and moving on. So part of the challenges are once you get here and you find these jobs, because what I do as an immigration attorney, because I think People might confuse me sometimes is I'm the person who goes to corporations and say these people don't have work authorization, right? I'm not an open borders guy. I'm the guy that says they don't have the paperwork. They can't work here. Right. But what you will find when undocumented people come here is companies will seek them. Farmers, meatpacking factories, even children to sort of use them as labor laws to create this stuff. And then they say, oh, my God, I'm here doing this great job. I'm earning, you know, five dollars, eight dollars an hour. You know, I'm living with 12 other people in this house with no power or electricity. I'm helping them here in the United States, but still, you say to me, I'm taking something from you when you don't even want those jobs. Here's my case study: They went and raided all those meatpacking factories, right? Disrupted all those communities, right? Rounded people up to deport them. Their U.S. citizens' kids were left at school. Apartments couldn't be paid for. Rent wasn't being paid. Towns were falling apart. Car payments weren't being made. All that disruption that happened, right? Meat prices went up, right? Did that change the way they actually do the meat processing and who they hired those plants absolutely not what the government said was whoa whoa we can't do this we won't be able to get meat and the prices will be too high and they'll be mad at us it's a political arena so we can't do that so rather than the choice to be let's make an option to make these people have some legal standing so they can argue about their wages and their and their working conditions right because they're working late at night remember the story in michigan i guess there was a 12 year old kid working at Right? How crazy is that? And, and the company said to you—they don't know. How do you tell me you own a company, and either—and for me, the CEO knows what the manager knows, and your manager doesn't know that you have a lot of kids on your floor doing adult work at two a.m. in the morning.
0: And that's what lets me know that they're not really serious. Either, because you wouldn't go after the individuals, you would go after the companies that are hiring them. If you really wanted to deter people from hiring people who are undocumented or don't have the paperwork to work here, you would target the places where they work, the big institutions in terms of where they work. But they don't. Exactly.
1: Exactly. I think it's also very challenging to understand that immigrants, when we talk about the undocumented population, a large number of them are fleeing for their lives. And as we have this politicalization of crime in America, which, you know, I think there is crime and sometimes I think there's a lot of crime. But for someone who lived in D.C. who thought the day I got to D.C., I would get shot coming from Georgia. It ain't what people say it is. It's the coloring of neighborhoods to make it seem as dangerous as it may be. But these people who are coming from these countries actually no danger. Right. Their brother was shot. They were raped they were killed in the country. The drug dealer came to the house and said, if you don't do this, you will die. In every movie we see, they would be the people that we're applauding for. How in the world can you say a woman who picked up her child to walk a thousand miles so that her child would not be raped is a bad person, right? That is not a bad person at all. And you don't speak the language and you go to a country where perhaps you know you might be separated from your child. Those are very noble things. In addition, How can you say to someone who's 16 or 18 in a country making no money, getting recruited by the gangs and say, you know what, I want to make legal money and they want to come here and pick strawberries and apples for us to have reasonable crops get to the field. How are they the villain?
0: They are not the villain. That is the correct answer to that question. We are talking to immigration attorney Alan Orr Jr. And we'll be right back with more Sunday Civics continuing this conversation I'm certainly learning a lot and I hope you are too. We'll be right back. How can it Welcome back. This is your civics teacher, L. Joy Williams, here on Sunday Civics and on Sirius XM Urban View. And we are continuing the conversation regarding the crisis that communities all across the country are facing. And that is of a migrant crisis of people migrating across the world And I wanted to make sure we have a very constructive conversation about what is happening in our communities. Because quite often, you know, (laughs) as we talked about so far with our guest, Alan Orr Jr., who is a immigration attorney and an expert and is really giving us the important context and history of what is happening around us. But quite often our communities are put against each other. And people are telling us that you can't have what you need because of these thousands or millions of people who are coming into our community. So it's really important to level set, to understand what's exactly happening, what people are experiencing, and whose fault it is, and whose responsibility it is to address this issue. But, you know, as a leader not only in my community, but those of you who listen to the show on a regular basis, I think it's important that when we hear, when we see, when we know that people are being put against each other inflamed language is being used and we know we can do better. It's important as leaders to stop, to give the information, to give accurate information, and to make sure that we are leading with humanity and not participating in the political vitriol that is happening and trading talking points and blame back and forth. I think if you are in leadership, whether you're leading a community organization, you're leading a church, you're, you know, leading people in your household, it's important when you know that that is happening to stop, to level set, to give the history, to give the context, to give the important language. And, you know, level set for everybody. And so that's what I'm hoping to do today. I wanted to bring someone to have this intelligent conversation because it's important. We're experiencing it here in New York. I know there are a number of people experiencing it in different places across the country and it doesn't matter if it's a blue state red state city what have you it is something that the country is experiencing overall and it all stems from having a very broken immigration system that has been used politically as a battleground for politics to suppress votes, increase votes, and back and forth. So it's really important to have this context. It really is important to understand how the system got broken. It's really important to understand who's responsible in fixing it. And that information helps you to be a more informed voter. It helps you to be a more informed and engaged uh, participant in this democracy. So I wanted to continue this conversation with Alan Orr Jr., who's our guest in the front of the Sunday Civics class right now, and ask him how hopeful he is that we can get to some resolution on immigration in the United States. Are you hopeful at all? (laughs) that we get to some, you know, I know there's nothing, there's not one piece of legislation, there's not one policy decision that can happen that changes all of this overnight. But Are there some actual solutions that we should be advocating for to our congressional members that we should be tweeting about, highlighting, it's not like we can go out and plant a tree and then the immigration crisis is solved. But what are some action steps that we can do that sort of help bolster what's needed?
1: Well, I think one is get the five apps and do the political sort of conversation. you got to tell people what you are for, right? And people are against people living and having their free lives, then be against that, right? you sort of got to speak out about that. I think we do have to retake the narrative. And there's hopeful that a younger America is going to see race differently. And even from my age, I thought that that would be the case. But a younger America in America is going to look different, right? Most Latinos are in their teen years. Most white people are in their 40s and 50s. And so the aging of America is also gonna bring in a new group of people who may in fact change the dynamics, but when you see in Miami, where you see other Cubans hating other Cubans and Venezuelan people, that might not be a solution that is as hopeful as others. In Bill right now, there is a bill introduced yesterday and I tweet about these things every day is uh, Eleanor Esquire for work authorization for asylum workers. It's for Congress to sort of fix that problem to get asylum people to work authorization, which is part of the solution. The other thing is that we need to, rethink who's leading us, because people who haven't done anything for a long time aren't going to do anything. And the real things that we face every day, climate, right? Every day, something's on fire. The United States is literally on fire, and people are having a conversation about does the climate exist? Gun control and gun reform, people are being gunned down every day, and people just say nothing about it as if it doesn't exist, and immigration. These are all things that Congress is capable of doing something on, and they've done nothing on. And yet, and still, they consistently look at the Biden administration, And that's what we need to stop doing is blaming the president for everything that Congress should be doing. That's why I think listening to Sunday Civics is so important to know the different roles of government and the limits and the powers of their control. Everything that the president has done in immigration is now in federal court in Texas. DACA could end tomorrow. 300,000 people could lose work authorization in a single court case from Texas saying Obama 11 years ago didn't have the right to give these people work authorization that is not lasting for those individuals or anyone else. There are over 3 million people here on TPS, temporary protective status, which is something that comes from the president when it, Honduras, Haitians, Guatemalans, El Salvadorians, Ethiopians are here in a group. That could end any day if the president gets there and sort of end it. Think about that as a life choice, that any day the ability for you to be here legally just disappears. It is not as if those people are gonna remove or leave the United States. And the last thing that I will tell you is that Congress has a budget every year for deportations of 400,000. No president, except for President Obama, got over 250,000 removals from the United States. We know there are at least 11 million people here. So if Congress was serious about immigration, their budget would sort of match that. And since they're not serious about that, then we need to go back to some form of legalization program, whether it be a registration program, which means if you've been here for so long and you can prove that you don't have these issues, you get to stay. DACA is also part of the solution. And i would like for governors to also challenge the federal government as texas and florida has and say you know what okay they can have work authorization but we're going to think of some program where they can give something to 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 new york and get these benefits of eating and living here we have jobs that need to be filled we're not going to call it working we're going to call it training figure it out do your own state legislation to say it's not working do workarounds and even if you want to say okay federal government you failed us we're going to give out state work authorization try it I am all about new ways to bold solutions to sort of say you are not going to hold the American people hostage to
0: things that you know are important. I, I just wanted to just when I read and watched the story of the governor just putting people on a bus and send it, I was like, how is this not human trafficking or kidnapping? Like, I don't like i I'd still it's still is bizarre to me that we're just, yeah, we're just going to ship people. We're going to send them to Martha's Vineyard. We're going to send them to New York. like How is, Ellen, how is that not human trafficking?
1: And tweet it and tweet, as a lawyer, I think it's actionable. I don't know what the Department of Justice is doing behind closed doors, but it's actionable. He has tweeted about the places that he's, the number of people that he sent different places, right? And in some cases, they're children. So there are international laws against children. That's why DeSantis, on his second of made sure there were no children. The Martha's Vineyard is going to eat him up once it gets to, to court case because you cannot move children like that. Adults, I mean, it's-
0: That's what I'm saying. Th- and again, to your point, if people are really serious about trash, I'm like, immediately- like sometimes i need us to be a little bit more like active in you know that instance because immediately
1: new york should be i think new york is suing i think new york has something against already in action and i know gavin Newsom is working on something to sue for but they're just not moving fast enough and it needs to sh- sort of sh-
0: i just you know and as someone who always puts myself in like someone should when i read something when I, i'm always sort of thinking about things from their perspective, right? That's how I was taught to read, right? You put yourself in these, you know, whether it's your reading you know, nonfiction, fiction, whatever, you put yourself in the story and how you would feel. And I just thought about Being a mom, as you mentioned, who brought her kids here, you know, for safety, looking for a better life. And so and I don't speak the language. I don't know what's happening. It's in the dark of nights. You know, I'm just trying to make sure my kids are with me and you put me on a bus and send me somewhere. And I still don't know.
1: Misleading you, misleading you, telling you that there's work for you when I put you on this bus, misleading you, not just sending you somewhere, but misleading you. Some of those people might have wanted to go to D.C. Many of those people did not want to go to the vice president's home. Because when it's only focused at democratic cities and black mayors, then you know there's a problem. And I don't know why the justice department hasn't said, here's your problem.
0: You've trafficked people, you use them in your political game. Like, I know, like we can fight our politics on, you know, in the hallways of Congress, in the state legislature, we can go back to back, you know, in debates and all that stuff, you don't use people, human beings and children to do that battle. You just, you know, it, it still doesn't sit right with me.
1: You don't use people. People are not things. Christians, Christians, you Christians should not be using people and children.
0: I mean i don't see how anybody who claims christ and maybe they got a different christ i don't know but the christ i read about the christ i know the christ in my family (laughs) whatever like reading their quotes reading as people are saying you know so the not in my city not in my community these people they can't you know i'm like wow uh I want to thank you for coming to again have this just real conversation and people often feel powerless right and i i don't want particularly i don't want black people to feed in to this narrative that we see playing out in media right where it's us against them and they're particularly and the reason i say black people is because they are using that narrative of you can't have this because of them right? And then us feeding into that, our uh, young people feeding into that. And then that will translate into the community to violence, to disrespect, to xenophobia and all that. But I don't want that. Right, And so I wanna make sure to use my platform to really educate people about here's the facts, this is what is happening, this is what people are facing, and here's what we need to demand for all of us. We can continue to advocate for our communities and ourselves, we don't have to diminish the needs of other people in order to lift ourselves up. We don't have to do that. Alan, thank you so much.
1: Thank you for having me. And and just for people, if they want to know something, Haitian Bridge focuses on Haitian nationals and mostly Black nationals within the United States. Black really focuses on the undocumented Black population because we are also included in that sort of growth area. And Baji is really focused on the Black immigrant movement overall. And we see the Congressional Black Caucuses moving in that space as well. So thank you.
0: Thank you to Alan Ord Jr. for making it his business to come before the Sunday civics class. Thank you for always bringing the information, the history, the context. That's exactly what we need here at Sunday Civic. So I appreciate you, Alan or Junior. Make sure to follow him on social media and ask him more questions if you have them and more (laughs) suggestions on what you can do locally and sort of how we can specifically call out to demand a better process and thanks to all of you for tuning in every Sunday morning if you're new welcome and for those seasoned saints thanks for tuning in with us every week we'll be back next week with more of Sunday Civics (laughs)